Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to gather and for those that are joining us online. I pray that uh, we will be open to what you have to say to us tonight. Um, this, is, uh, this is a challenging message tonight from the Word and uh, lets us get an insight into the Apostle Paul's approach to life. And uh, this could be a motivating message to anyone, really. And so I pray that we will get motivated and we will want to step up and run to win. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so um, the passage that we'll be in is 1 Corinthians. Uh, you know what, I don't think really tonight I need to read too far. Yeah, I'm just gonna read the verses we're gonna do because we've run over and over this passage and this is kind of, this section right here is kind of uh, its own. It could apply to just anything and anywhere. So normally, you wanna make sure you get the context of the whole you know, chapter and everything. But I think that this is self-contained enough to where you should be able to get it. So let's just take a look at this. This is 1 Corinthians 9, verses 24 through 27. And uh, let's just make sure that I'm right. Yes, that's the end of the chapter. So we will get done tonight. The Apostle Paul writes, do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, excuse me, all the runner, mm, let's do this again. Do you not know that in a race, the runners all compete? I've memorized this in a different translation. All the runners compete, but only one receives the prize. Run in such a way that you may win it. Athletes exercise self-control in all things they do. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable one. So I do not run aimlessly, nor do I box as though beating the air but I punish my body and enslave it, Woo! strong language from the ESV, so that after proclaiming to others, I myself should not be disqualified. So, um, this is one of these passages that uh, we'll preach during a time when the, everybody's focused on, say, the Olympics or something like that, right? But it teaches us that we need to discipline ourselves and to stay in this, if you wanna call it a game, a game, right? Uh, and you gotta run to the end to win. So if you give up in the race, you don't win, obviously. Just think about that. Um, kids are really good at wanting to run and getting started, right? But after you run a couple of laps, and I'm talking small laps, because we do laps uh, at uh, karate club sometimes, and I mean, they wanna outrun me, they love running, they think it's the greatest thing in the world, unless we run too many laps and then they don't wanna do it. They, jumping jacks are great unless we do more than about 20, which uh, Craig always does 100. <laughs> and so it's, yeah, it's great. But kids are kinda of like us, aren't they? We wanna get started. You know, hey, it's a new year and, and we wanna set goals and you know, make resolutions and then by about the third week, we're like, uh, failed at that. Right? So you gotta train. If you're gonna run, you've gotta train. Elijah runs all the time. Um, you know, I might be able to run a mile right now without losing my cookies. Um, but uh, if I wanna get back up to run 5Ks again, and you know, uh, then I've gotta train. And I'm gonna have to, I use an app, and you can get, there's about half a dozen of these now. It used to be called couch to 5K. Basically means if you're just sitting on the couch every day, you can start using this app on your phone 
and it will guide you so that within, I think it's like about 40 days, you're able to run a 5K, which we don't measure kilometers in the States. Um, that's 3.1 miles right around. Um, but it's training. You have to actually follow this, this running app by getting out there and running, I think it's four, excuse me, four days a week. And I can tell you, I've used it a bunch of times. And when I'm serious, I follow it and I'm ready. But when I'm not, I do just what I said. I get out there and I, I do the first week, but I maybe only do three days instead of four, you know. And then I do the second week and yeah, it's starting to get harder. And then by the third week, it's really hard because I've skipped days. So I'm not in the shape that I need to be in. So by the fourth week, I have to go back a week or two or I just quit. Now I've used it on a number of occasions and run in a bunch of different 5Ks. And uh, if they're really, you know, amateur 5Ks, then I've done okay a couple of times. I've never won first in one, but I've won third and second and yeah, it's awesome. So, um, but life is like that, right? Life is like a race. That's what the, that's what the Apostle Paul is saying here. All compete, but only one wins the prize. Now he says that, he's, he's trying to get you to think that, you know, in a race, you're running against these other people, right? What we need to do is we need to focus on the prize, not beating other people, because in the end, the race that we're in is not against others. I'm not running against you, right? We're all running the same race, but I'm not running to beat you. You're not running to beat me. And, you know, I did a, I was got a reminder. You know, if you're on Facebook, you get these reminders of, you know, history, these things that you've posted. And I've been on Facebook since 2007 or eight. And so, you know, I'll get reminders from way back. But this one was just from several years ago. It was from 2017. And that's when I had um, gained enough flab that I was just not happy with myself at all. And at the same time, I was restarting the karate club. So I took this Frosty the Snowman image and I superimposed my face on it. And I said, I'm a snowman and I need to melt some of this flab. Well, <laughs> it worked. It worked. I got all the way down to 5.3% body fat. And it was hard. It was very, very hard. And then the pandemic happened and I just made all sorts of excuses. And I'm still working out. I work out six days a week, most weeks. But if I keep going over to intrinsic, you know, all the time and whatever, it's, yeah, it's one of these, it's balancing act. So when I posted that, um, you know, folks are always like, well, if, you know, that's how you, if you think you're fat, what do you think of us? I'm running against myself. <laughs> but you're not the only one that's, that said that to me, you know, and I love it because I have, I have your grandkids are like, you're not fat, but see, I'm, focusing on me versus me. So I see me in 2018 when I got down that lean and I see me now and I'm looking at two me's. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Right. So let's get on from that and just look at life. You're looking at you when you first came to faith in Christ and you're looking at you now. Now, do you see a difference? Right. Have you gotten any further in your faith? Have you disciplined yourself 
to such a degree that um, you're closer to the Lord, that you have dropped some old habits off, that you have uh, you, you know, changed positively. That's what we're looking for. He, said, he says, all compete, but only one wins the prize. Well, so, you know, the reason why I'll get super fit and then I'll go back to older habits is because it's just really hard to stay that lean when you're this age. And I don't want to get narcissistic and I'm afraid that that's exactly what I'm doing at that point. So I make excuses. See, there's a balancing act there, right? You can get so into your body and so into fitness, you know? I mean, you know, just I'm into my body, you know, and yeah, and look at me and, you know, you're measuring body fat and getting on the fat scale and all this. And it's just an obsession. And so I think, you know, that's just too much. So then what happens? I start tripping over to the other side, right? And so what can happen is that we lose track of what the prize is, right? The Apostle Paul said, I press on toward the goal to win the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. The prize is heaven. Now, how do you win that prize? Finish. Finish in faith. That's how you win. You don't win it by doing this many good deeds and that outweighs the bad deeds and so forth. You win it by staying close to Christ. And in Hebrews chapter 12, it says that he is the author and finisher of our faith. He's the beginner and ender of our faith, right? He's the, he's the captain of our faith. He's the one that's pacing you. Now, I have run with other people before, and I really, the way I am, I, I just don't like that. But it does help. If you're running with somebody that is slightly faster than you, not a lot faster, because then you just give up and let them go ahead. You're like, you're gone, have fun. You know, Elijah goes out there and runs like six miles or something. I'd be like, you're gone. I'm going to see you later. But if it's somebody that's close to you, but they're a little better than you, or if it's a trainer and they're just jogging along to try to help you and they stay just ahead of you, then that's somebody who's pacing you, right? And they're getting your pace to be faster. Now, this is what's good about these apps that you can get for your phone. And now that we've got these, these smartwatches, I don't have to carry my phone around with me, right? It tells me when to run. And when you're doing Couch to 5K, you run and then you walk. Run, walk. It's, it's an intermittent training program is what it is. Um, what I've done in the past is if I'm in shape, I'll go back and there are other apps you can use. I just haven't gotten into them there. But I'll go back and I'll use the same one. But what I'll do is I'll get on the treadmill so that I can gauge the miles per hour that I'm going, right? So just as an idea, um, if you're walking at a brisk pace, that's around three miles an hour, which means if you did a 5K, you could, you could do that. You could walk at a brisk pace and be finished in an hour, three miles in an hour, okay? And that's good. Now, I'm not talking about just dragging. That's not three miles an hour, okay? That's like, well, get on the treadmill and set it and you'll see, right? You're like, oh, I'm a one and a half mile walker. You know, I'm like dragging. Start where you're at, right? Don't, you know, don't, if, you, if your goal is, is too far beyond yourself, then you'll quit. 
But the, the beauty of this is I've used this Couch to 5K app before and instead of when it says walk, what I'll do is I'll just dial the speed down. So for me, you know, this just give away how slow I am. Um, a slow jogging speed is about five miles an hour. In fact, I don't even like to jog at that speed because it's almost hard because yeah. I'm dragging along. I would, um, I, I would rather walk at a brisk pace than jog slow, right? So my average is I like to jog at about 6.1 or 6.2 miles an hour. That's a good pace for me, right? Um, if you want to win at my age, you really need to be jogging for three miles at about seven miles an hour, and then you can beat other people my age. At Elijah's age, it's probably more like seven and a half miles an hour, something like that, to win a 5K. The longer the race, right? They're not necessarily quite as, as fast. But my point is, it's training, right? It's training. And I'm training me versus me. So I start off and, you know, I'm just winded and can't even stand it after running a mile. But by the end of that training, man, I feel good, right? Like my cardiovascular, I just feel good because I've trained. So what's the prize? Well, the prize with that is, you know, getting in shape or, you know, if you want to enter races, um, amateur races, then, you know, you can do that. But our prize is the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And we're not running a 5K, we're running a marathon. In fact, we're not running a marathon, we're running an ultra marathon. It's unbelievable, but there are people that run 100 miles. I believe it. 100 miles. The I'm sorry. But they do. They get, you know, they can just, but that's this life, isn't it? This life that we're in is an ultra marathon. It doesn't quit. And, you know, honestly, there's a whole lot of people that just stop and sit down beside the, the, the track. Yeah. And they're just like, oh. and then hopefully, you know, somebody comes along, motivates them to get back up and, you know, get running again. But there's just a whole lot of people that are just sitting beside the road. Well, you need to run to win. And again, you're running not against these other people. You're running to finish. If you finish in faith, you win. You're running against yourself, so to speak. But that's more like saying you're running against your flesh, right? The natural you. You know, the you that, that just wants to sit around and watch soap operas and eat bonbons or, you know, whatever. Um, it's, I'm being a joke, jokester because that's not what you ladies do. <laughs> But anyway, no, I like pumpkin pie. No, y'all don't know. I, I bet I, I bet I could make everybody feel much, much happier and more comfortable if I just did what I wanted to do and ate pizza all the time and ate pie all the time and ate cake all the time. And I would, I could put on 50 pounds, 50 easy. I could put on 50 and I could wear none of my clothes, but y'all would be like, yeah. Stop talking about fitness all the time. We like a fat pastor. <laughs> but I want, to, I, want, I want to be in better shape. But more than that, I want us to look at our spiritual life. I want to look at our relationship to Jesus. And I want to say, are we on board with this? Do we see that this is like a race? And are we looking at the end? This, that's the only thing that keeps me going is that it's going to end. I can't just... I, I really, I can't just, I, I, I'm constantly, that's why I hate running on a treadmill, but all I'm ever watching, 
I don't really run for distance. All I'm ever watching is the time. I just want to run for 30 minutes. So I'm watching the time. I'm just waiting for that time to end. So whatever it is, I, now, if I'm running out here, then I will look at mile markers, if you will, right? But that's what you've got to do in life. As you're progressing, you have, to, you have to look at places where you can gauge your progress and say, yeah, look, I have come a certain amount and I have changed. Either way, um, the Apostle Paul says, run in such a way that you may win. So if you follow Jesus, you're on the narrow path that leads to life. That's your track. It's the narrow path. So stay on track. You cannot make your own road. Now see, this is another thing, people. I told you a lot of people just sit down. Some people just go off the path. They just make their own road, right? That's these, these little kids when I'm running, right? Yeah, so I'll set up, you know, basically four corners and we're supposed to run around those. Yeah, but you know what happens. They're gonna dive in and cut the corner. <laughs> try to run ahead of me, you know, make your own path. So, yeah. Um, there are people, let's change from running to skiing. Um, I've been, I don't know why it got recommended, but I, this, this guy is like this amazing, amazing, crazy skier. Like he dropped out of a helicopter on the top of this mountain. And it just, you know, now they've got these GoPros now that'll just show you the whole run, right? And plus, you know, this guy, I guess, is sponsored and the helicopter was probably following him, so multiple angles. But I mean, he was going through some of the craziest terrain. No real pathway there, right? You know, it wasn't a, a blue run or a green run or a black run or a double black run. This is beyond a double black run. But I would notice when we would ski that there are people that like to ski through the trees, which by the way, is a really good way to get seriously injured. Because if you're not a good skier and there's a branch hanging down and it takes your eye out, or there's actually been a couple of very pretty famous people that have died running into trees, right? You go and just, oh, I'm gonna make my own path. I'm just gonna go and ski off the run and do, yeah, that's, unless you're like an expert skier or unless sometimes they'll have pathways that go through the trees, which, you know, it's kind of cool. But if you're just gonna go skiing through the trees, or if you're gonna go skiing off the, the, you know, the designated run, they'll usually have it marked very clearly and they'll have orange, you know, like orange flags or whatever. They'll tell you don't go here and whatnot. Um, but yeah, it's, it's dangerous, it's foolish, and it might seem fun and it might be fun, but eventually it's gonna be uh, destructive and it's gonna be painful. And that's life, right? Some people, sit down and some people try to make their own path, right? But Jesus said, enter by the narrow gate for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard or the way is narrow that leads to life. And those who find it are few. So don't get sidetracked. It's easy to get sidetracked. Sometimes you get bumped off right? Um, you know, uh, using skiing as an example, again, somebody's in the way and you, you know, you go turn and try to get out of their way and you end up flying off the ski run. Um, you know, you don't want to let people bump you off, let somebody shove you off, let somebody get in your way. Don't let the devil divert you from the ancient path 
onto a bypass. See, the devil's got plenty of bypass cut. Here's your path, and it's narrow, but it's straight. Straight is that gate, straight is the path. Stay on the path. But the devil's cut these little bypass off. And you know what? A lot of them lead right back to the main highway, the road to destruction. Listen to this. This is two verses from Jeremiah. Jeremiah 6, 16 and Jeremiah 18, 15. Jeremiah 6, 16 says, Thus says the Lord, Stand by the roads and look and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it and find rest for your souls. But they said, we will not walk in it. And in Jeremiah 18, 15, he goes back to that theme. Yet my people have forgotten me. They burn incense to worthless idols, which made them stumble in their ways in the ancient paths. So they were on the ancient path. They were led the right way. They were following the Lord. But they started focusing on these idols in the land, burning incense to these other gods. And so they, it says, they burn incense to worthless idols, which made them stumble in their ways in the ancient paths. They, that is these idols, made them walk in byways or bypaths on roads not built up. So we just have a whole lot of people that are making their own path or they're stumbling off on these bypaths. And some of these bypaths are fairly well trodden in our day. They're fairly new or some of them are old as well. They just haven't been used in some time. But again, these are, this is not the narrow way. This is not the road that is going to lead to the prize. This is not uh, going to lead to eternal life. So, um, Next, he says, athletes exercise self-control in all things. So here's the training aspect of it, right? If you're going to run, or he uses the example of boxing in this uh, passage as well, then you have to practice. If you do anything, you have to practice. Friends, we're saved by grace, right? Exactly. Amen? Amen? You can't earn your way into heaven. But grace is not opposed to effort. I think people use grace as an excuse to just be lazy and not really want to do anything to follow Jesus. You really need to follow Jesus. You actually have to get up off your blessed assurance and do something about your faith or you don't have faith. What you have are feelings. Maybe you have warm feelings toward the Lord, right? Or what you have is presumption. Well, of course I'm saved. I've been in church my whole life. But are you following Jesus? Because following Jesus means you're in his school. It means you're actually doing something about that. You're not just watching everybody else do their thing or living your life the way you want to live your life and saying, oh yeah, by the way, I believe in God. Uh, to which James, the half-brother of Jesus and the pastor of the Jerusalem church would say, congratulations, the demons believe and shudder. And they're going to hell. So just believing that God exists is not the same as believing in God right? Making him your God and following him. So we need to exercise self-control. Athletes do this, right? They're, they're wanting to win, you know, for their team. They're, they're wanting to, you know, win the boxing match or win the, the road race or um, win the downhill skiing. Um, you know, whatever it is, that's what they want to do. 
we're seeking to win the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So don't let laziness keep you from disciplining your body and mind to live the life God has offered in Jesus. Offer up your body as a living sacrifice to God. That's what the Apostle Paul says, right? Um, he says, you know, according to the Lord's mercy, I say to you, offer up your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service of worship. And you know that word reasonable sometimes is translated spiritual. Believe it or not, offering up your body to the Lord is spiritual. This is what you have. This is your vehicle, guys. Oh, guys, there's only one guy in here. That's the, that's the way, that, that's, that's the, the West Coast in me coming out. Uh, this would be the, the uh, synonym here would be y'all, right? Okay. So don't let laziness keep you from disciplining your body and mind to live the life that God has offered. Offer up your body as a living sacrifice. Enter into training if you haven't already or if you've quit. Um, and you know, you're here. So that would, I would assume that that would be part of your plan, that you wanna be a part of this training. Uh, we would call this discipleship. You, if you spell the word discipleship, what word do you see in there, right? It's the root for the word discipline, right? Disciple, disa, discipline. A disciple is a disciplined follower of Jesus, okay? Um, so that means discipleship, learning, living by the principles found in God's word and not the propaganda in the world, which is promoted by godless media and guileful politicians. The writer uh, in the Proverbs, probably Solomon in this case, said, guard your heart for from it is the wellspring of life. Gird your mind, be ready to take action. That's the old King James, gird your mind, right? But uh, here is uh, the NIV's translation of that. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, right? Your mind needs to be alert, not lethargic. You know, not alert. And sometimes, you know, some of us are morning people and some of us are not morning people. So you can identify, if you're not a morning person, you can identify with that just sense of lethargy that you feel when you gotta wake up early in the morning. And I will tell you, I've developed a habit of going to the gym and I'm moaning and groaning about the fact that I put on a little pudge here, but I'm still going to the gym literally six days a week. And I, I don't even have to really make myself go anymore. It's just what I do. Does that make sense? Once this, a habit is this well entrenched. Now I can tell you during the pandemic, it was a real challenge, right? When we had that shutdown, I had to ask the, the pastor of the church that owns the rock, if he would let me use my key to go in and use their weight room over there. And I did, and I was running, but it, it got me out of my zone, right? That I had been in. I had developed this routine. Believe it or not, routines are good. You just need to develop good ones. You just develop a solid routine and that is training. But you know, this, that whole thing knocked me out of my routine. And uh, so, but I managed to stay working out, but I could see you know, and then I this the, uh, several weeks ago, you guys are aware that I, I think that it was like a, a respiratory infection or a cold or something. And if I had medical insurance, I would have gone to the doctor probably and gotten an antibiotic and it would have knocked it sooner. 
but it was two weeks of coughing, 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 which uh, Pastor Craig gets every year. I, I hear this time of year, every year, he's got that cough. And in fact, he's, he's already had it once this year and he's got it again. So I don't know how he does it. I really don't um, because it, drive, it just drove me insane. But it was, there were several times when I also just felt that lethargic blah and I did not want to go to the gym. And there was only one or two days during that two weeks that I would normally go that I didn't go. But I, you know, I backed off a little bit. What am I saying? I'm saying that we've got to develop this routine of disciplining our bodies and entering into training. And I will go sometimes and I just don't feel like it, but I go because it's my routine and I get there and I start working out and I don't really feel like it. But once I'm done, I feel good. I know, okay, I'm glad I came, you know? It's, so that's exactly what it says in Hebrews 12, 11. It says, all discipline for the moment does not seem to be joyful. But in the end, it yields the peaceful fruits of righteousness. So inevitably, I will feel better after I have entered into that training. So you can't let that, you can't let your, your flesh drag you down. You can't let those feelings keep you from having that daily discipline, right? So don't be like the disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane who repeatedly fell asleep and ultimately forsook their Lord and that in his greatest moment of need. Here is the passage, uh, one of the passages. Uh, this is described in all three synoptic gospels. The synoptic gospels, by the way, what does that mean? Synoptic? means they all see it from the same perspective. So if you've ever read Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they're very similar, aren't they? I remember the first time I ever read the Bible, I read through Matthew. Proud of myself. And I started reading Mark, and I was like, hey, I just read this. <laughs> and then I got to Luke, and I was like, hey, hey, I already read this. Now, after years of studying, and in fact, this very passage that I'm going to read you there are differences in all three, okay? Um, in fact, we find that it's called the Garden of Gethsemane from Matthew. Luke doesn't say that. He says the Mount of Olives. Well, the Garden of, see, this is where somebody that doesn't know anything and wants to, you know, prove that the Bible is full of contradictions and errors, well, they just need to do a little bit of geography and realize that the Garden of Gethsemane was a private garden where? Oh, on the Mount of Olives, okay, so. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, who are the two sons of Zebedee? Um, James and John. He began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is very sorrow sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little further, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible that this cup pass from me, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them, what were they doing? Sleeping. They were sleeping. He found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So, could you not watch with me one hour? Well, this, he, why does he point out Peter? Well, first of all, he called Peter to be the leader. And secondly, Peter was the one that was like, I will die for you, Lord. He said, no, you're going to forsake me three times. What? No, it'll never happen. And he can't even stay awake. 
Okay, I'm not saying I would be any better. So he, you know, points that out to Peter. So could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Mm, good message there. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And that's why we have to discipline the flesh. We cannot continue to let our flesh lead us around like a bit in a horse's mouth. We need to lead our flesh. We need to put it under control. That's why every year during Lent, I encourage you to fast. You know, I know Lent is it's a Catholic thing. It's, it's not, you know, what churches like ours, increasingly churches like ours are doing it, but historically they haven't. But I think it's really healthy to learn to say no to yourself. It really is. And one way you can do that is just to say, okay, well, you know, I, I'm going to say no to myself for one meal a day, or I'm going to say no to myself by, you know, not having something that I normally have regularly that is, a, you know, a habit of mine, Diet Cokes or beer or pie or I don't know what, okay? Um, it's learning to say no to, to self. We've got to learn to keep that flesh disciplined. Now, you can go too far that direction. You can become bulimic and anorexic and, um, you know, not learn to enjoy the, the bounty that God has given us. Listen, there's a time for feasting and there's a time for fasting. Amen? We're coming into the time of year that we fast. No, that we feast. And so that's okay. Be balanced about it. But realize you're going to have a, a few extra pounds come January. <laughs> and then it might be a time for you to enter into a little bit of training, right? And fasting. Here's what you need to know, and this is interesting. This is not found in Matthew, but Matthew contains almost all of Mark. Mark's the shortest gospel. It was also the first gospel. It's also the gospel that is attributed to the preaching or teaching of Peter, and it was written down by John Mark, right? So Matthew adopts almost all of it. But here's a sentence that he did not put in his gospel. This is Mark 14, 50 of the same passage about them being in the Garden of Gethsemane. And it says, at the end of this time, when Jesus is arrested, Peter tries to fight back and cut off, cuts off the ear of the servant of the high priest. It says that they all got up and left him. They all left him and fled, right? So if we're going to be who we need to be for Jesus, we need to watch and pray. There's our training. We're using the same metaphor that the Apostle Paul has been using with all these athletic ideas, right? But, you know, the Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy that physical training is of some value, but godliness is valuable both in this life and in the next life. Godliness is being devoted, right? Being in training, following Jesus. So yeah, physical training is of some value, but being a gym rat is not gonna make you closer to Jesus. Running a marathon won't necessarily make you any closer to Jesus, right? But I can take all of those things that I do, like when I'm at the gym, I have headphones on. I don't want to listen to all this drama that's going on around there. There's, <clears throat> there's an area at the gym where I work out, and it's called Alpha. Oh, Alpha. Yeah. And you're over there. You've got these big squat racks, and they're lifting some heavy weights, and they've got this music on. This I don't want to hear all that. So I have my headphones on. And the reason why I have this watch and 
the, those headphones is because I don't have to take my phone. I can just play worship music and I play worship music on this watch. And that's, so what I'm saying is you can be in training and you need to have a time that you spend with the Lord. You do. You have time that you just spend, just you and the Lord. Nobody else, just you and the Lord. You need to have time that you spend in the Bible, in the Word, that you're really trying to ask the Lord to speak to you. You have time that you spend in prayer where you talk to the Lord and then you're silent before the Lord. You need to have time of times of worship. But worship is all the time and being a disciple is all the time. You're going to weave that into everything because although you need to have a time of prayer with just you and the Lord, the Apostle Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5, pray without ceasing. Well, that means I'm carrying on a conversation with God as I'm going on throughout my day. And that requires a different kind of concentration. I normally do that, but if I'm in a situation that I'm not accustomed to, for instance, if I'm around somebody that, you know, is constantly con conversing with me, okay? Um, I, you know, it's just, I'm out of my element, right? And I'm not trying to ignore the Lord, I'm just, it's like they're just taking up my whole world here and, you know, I want to talk to them and, you know, keep listening to them and whatever. And, uh, and then, you know, I get to the end of a three hour, four hour, whatever, and think, man, I haven't been praying. Get to the end of a whole day that you spent with somebody and think, wow, that was a really enjoyable day and I didn't say a word to the Lord. But see, it doesn't have to be. That's why you have to train yourself to have this kind of conversation with the Lord that leaves you open to Him even while you're talking to other people. Okay, so rise early. Early for one person might not be the same hour for another. Read the word, pray, then pray without ceasing throughout the day. Be faithful at church, at Bible study, and here you are. Apply what you learn. Live the life of a disciple, not a consumer and a pawn of the latest popular movement. The winds of culture have blown wildly over the last several years. Once devout Christians, or at least seemingly so, have turned away from the Bible and embraced the LGBT agenda or critical race theory, cancel culture, hatred toward the alien and the stranger, and the cult of personality. There is only one Messiah, and he's not the president, and he was not the last president, and he's not up for election. The Bible is the word of God, and it cannot be canceled by anyone. God loves everyone, and Jesus died for all. Amen? Amen? So, he says, they do it to receive a perishable wreath, or crown, but we an imperishable one. So look for the prize that will not fade. Now, believe it or not, in the original Olympics, they actually got laurel wreaths. That is made of leaves. Leaves? Leaves. <laughs> leaves is not a word. A laurel wreath made of leaves, right? <laughs> So that meant that it was intrinsically ephemeral. You're going to put that on your head and you're going to stand up there and I'm the winner! And the thing is going to be wilted within a couple of days. Yeah. You know? Yeah, we can't live like that. But unfortunately we do. There's only one reward worth seeking and sacrificing for and that is the upward call of God in Christ Jesus, the smile of Jesus in this life. There are crowns, there are wreaths promised in the scripture. Here they are, the crown of righteousness. You'll find this in 2 Timothy 4.8. That is for all who have longed for Christ's appearing. The crown of life, 
that is offered for those who love God, according to James 1.12, and for those who are martyred for their faith, and that is found in Revelation 2.10. The crown of glory, and that is for those who have shepherded the Lord's flock faithfully. That's in 1 Peter 5.4. And then there is the crown uh, that is your reward for all of those whom you've won to faith in Jesus. The Apostle Paul says to the Thessalonians, you're my crown, you're my reward, right? That's my reward is knowing that I'm gonna bring you to heaven. All this other stuff, you're not gonna bring to heaven with you, right? Uh, hearses don't pull trailers. It's not going with you. You know, the Egyptians built these huge pyramids and, uh, you know, on slave labor and, you know, to put the Pharaoh in there with all of his goodies and it's still there with his bones and he didn't take them with him to the afterlife and it's not going to happen. But you know what? You will take every person who you lead to faith in Christ with you. They'll all go with you. You'll see them on the other side. That's a good reason to rethink where you're spending all your time, right? Then he says, but I punish my body and enslave it. Woo, make your body your slave, not your master. Wow. Hmm. How many people's bodies are their master? Their bodily urges, pleasures. I mean, we, we seem incapable of disciplining ourselves when it concerns that, right? I just feel like I've just got to just, you know, do whatever I'm, I'm urged by my body to do. Um, no, you really don't. You need to pay attention to your body, but you don't have to be led around by your urges, uh, by you know these appetites that we have. You may have an appetite, you may be hungry, but that doesn't mean you have to leave work and you know go get food in the middle of your shift when you're supposed to be doing what you're supposed to be doing, right? Um, yeah, I, I need to enslave my body and not be a, uh, let it be my master. So. In the end, he says, he does that. He enslaves his body so that after proclaiming the gospel to others, I myself should not be disqualified. Oh, ow. Can the saved become lost? Well, see, it depends on your faith tradition, right? And I can tell you the theological background for that. But if I'm going to say that if one genuinely has faith in Christ, then the Lord is going to sustain them, right? It says, uh, you know, they will be able to stand for the Lord is able to make them stand. But the same Jesus who promises that eternal security, and here it is in John 10, 28, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. That same Jesus, that's what he said, says this, those who endure to the end will be saved. You've got to finish the race. If you quit, there's a question as to whether you were ever one of his to begin with, right? So in our passage, the warning may not be against losing your place in heaven due to doubt or sin, but losing your crowns, which I mentioned earlier. You see, judgment for the Christian is not for punishment for things you've done wrong. Jesus took all of our punishment on himself. Judgment is for reward. Listen to this, John 5, 24. This is Jesus again. All these statements that I've given you in the last uh, couple of moments have been Jesus. He said, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, 
but has passed from death to life. That's John 5.24. That's worthy of memorization. However, we are still going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ to give an answer for our lives. The judgment for us is not going to be, well, let's see. Am I going to let you in or not? I don't know. Let's think about this. Look at all that bad you've done in your life. You can't get in then. Well, the reality is all of us are separated from God. So without Christ, we're not getting in. But if I have Christ, then standing before him in judgment is going to be about reward. If I have done what I was supposed to do in this life, not denial of heaven. Um, in 2 Corinthians, which at the rate we're going, it's going to be a while before we get there. But we will get there. In 2 Corinthians 5.10, it says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. So don't waste your life. God expects great things for those who live uh, in this earth, on this earth. And he, expect great, he expects great things from those who belong to him. It is your divinely created DNA. I like this. This is uh, from a uh, missionary from uh, the 18th century. His name, was called, his name was William Carey. He said, attempt great things for God. Expect great things from God. Amen? Amen? The end is near. That's no cliche. It's not an attempt at irony. The devil's trick is to keep us focused on today. The Zen dictum of remaining in the moment may seem to be wisdom, but meaning is discovered when we have hope. Listen to that again. Meaning is discovered when you have hope. And hope is not anything we possess in the here and now. It is based on the promise of God for the hereafter, for what is coming. Human beings must have hope. That's what gets us moving, right? You've got to have some hope. Listen to this. This is from Romans chapter 8. For in hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he has seen? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Now, you're going to have to really, you guys have been listening really well. I want you're going to have to just really screw your attention down and lock into this one. This is from Dallas Willard, and he was a philosophy guy. Um, and it's very powerful. And it is in agreement with the Apostle Paul's statement there that hope is something that is always out in front of us. Okay? This is what Dallas Willard wrote. A human life, or a human world is one that holds together in terms of the future. It essentially involves meaning. Meaning is a going beyond, a transcendence of whatever state we are in toward that which completes it. Anything that has no future is meaningless in the human order. That's just so powerful. If you have no future, if you have no hope, there's no meaning. And that's why so many people are like the writer, uh, presumably Solomon of Ecclesiastes, the, the teacher. Uh, I was listening to Craig teach on that passage in here a couple of years ago, and he used the Hebrew term over and over again. The Kohelet is, is what he is, the teacher of Ecclesiastes. But he's the one that said, meaningless, meaningless, all is meaningless. And yet he had everything. 
He had everything. He had wine, women, and song. He had it all. He had wisdom. He had all of it. And he said, life is meaningless. And that's because although he believed in the existence of God, he did not have a solid hope for an afterlife. Friends, we've got to have hope. It's got to be, it's got to be beyond, you know, well, what am I going to buy next year in May? What's my next truck going to be? You know, it's got, it's, it's got to transcend this world. Because that's, I've just come to see, there's all sorts of things I see. You know, there's a new Corvette out. Man, that's cool. And then there's another version of it that's like even faster. Oh, that's really cool. But in the end, I just think, is that worth my time? I'd love to drive one, but it's not worth me spending all my time to just focus on that, right? You know, I'd love to have one of these, these new Tesla Model S Plaid. This thing is so fast, it's unbelievable, right? But I, you know, I think in the end, that wouldn't make me happy. It really wouldn't. Meaningless, meaning I could have a, you know, I could have Jay Leno's garage. That guy's got, I don't know how many cars he's got, but he's got a show called Jay Leno's Garage and he shows off all these different cars, you know, but that wouldn't make me happy either. I've mentioned that wouldn't make me happy either, right? I just need to do what the Lord has called me to do. Western culture has been moving away from faith and the gospel for a long time. Our hope and with it, our point for existence is ready to disappear. But that's why you can't get your eyes on the culture. You have to keep your eyes on Christ. I'm going to go ahead and do this so I can uh, seem really, really smart and cultured. <laughs> yeah. um, William Butler Yeats wrote his famous poem, The Second Coming, in the wake of World War I. And we have fallen further from what he wrote here. Now, I will say this. We associate the second coming with Christ. And if you listen carefully, you'll find that that's not who he's talking about. Here's the poem. Turning and turning in the widening gyre, the falcon cannot hear the falconer. Things fall apart, the center cannot hold. Mere anarchy is loosed upon the world. The blood-dimmed tide is loosed, and everywhere the ceremony of innocence is drowned. The best lack all conviction, while the worst are full of passionate intensity. Surely some revelation is at hand. Surely the second coming is at hand. The second coming. Hardly are those words out when a vast image out of spiritus mundi troubles my sight. A waste of desert sand, a shape with lion body in the head of a man, a gaze blank and pitiless as the sun is moving its slow thighs while all about it wind shadows, excuse me, wine shadows of the indignant desert birds. The darkness drops again, but now I know that 20 centuries of stony sleep were vexed to nightmare by a rocking cradle. And what rough beast, its hour come round at last, slouches toward Bethlehem to be born. Hmm. Sounds like the second coming of the beast, right? So, what will you say at the end? Here's what the Apostle Paul could say not too long before he was martyred for his faith. And I will conclude. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. From now on, there is reserved for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. May you long for his appearing. All right? God bless you, those of you online.